So today is our 21st anniversary as a church, so I just want to take a quick break from our normal practice of preaching. We normally try to walk through either a book or a section of a certain book so that we are not skipping through God's Word, but because of the occasion, I just want to look at one simple question um, and answer that question with this passage in Philippians, and that question is this, what does it mean to be part of a church? What does it mean to be part of a church? Now, when I say the word church, it can mean a lot of things. It can mean the universal church, meaning the church in general, God's people in general. But if you study the New Testament, if you read the Bible, that word is used about 116 times. About 90% of the time, it's talking about not the universal church, not just Christians in general, but it's specifically addressing a local church, a church that is physically within a city, a place. And so we see from the very beginning of, uh, um, of, of, of the New Testament that God has a plan to gather his people to plant his church, but this church is something that has influence over the local area. So this is a local church. And the church of Philippi was one of those local churches. And this is a very precious church to Paul because if you think about his journey, his second missionary journey, we read in Acts chapter 16 that he really wants to go to Asia Minor. His heart is to go, um, to go west to this large area that that people have yet to hear the gospel, there's no churches there, but the Spirit of God, for some reason, says, no, don't go there, instead go to Macedonia. So instead of going there, he ends up in Macedonia in a supernatural way, and there he meets three different people. The first person that he meets, because he, he normally goes to a synagogue that's within a city, but that particular city, the city of Philippi, was not necessarily you know, a religious place, so he couldn't find any synagogues. And so what he ended up doing is he went outside of the city. He found a woman's Bible study. In a way, people were reading scripture. And there he finds this woman, Lydia, this crazy, rich Asian lady uh, who's doing business. Um, she's well off, and she hears the gospel, and she believes in the gospel, and you have the first member of the church of Philippi. And then he goes back to the city, and he sees this slave girl who is demon-possessed. She has this ability to tell fortune, and because of that, her owners are abusing her, using her to make money off of her. And so this poor Greek slave girl, um, she's, she's being tormented, really, by people and by these evil spirits. And because Paul was so annoyed by the fact that she kept crying for help. He casts out the demon inside of her, and she becomes a free person, a believer, and she becomes a second member of the church of Philippi. And the owners weren't that happy, so they, they go after Paul, say they beat Paul up, and then they throw him into jail. They say, hey, you can't share that message here. But in jail, uh, now this time Paul, he meets this Roman soldier, uh, this retired Roman soldier who's serving as a jailer, and there he leads that soldier, that jailer, to Christ. And so at the end of Acts 16, you have three individuals, um, a crazy rich uh, Asian lady, uh, kind of mid-age. You also have a very young slave girl who most likely is a Greek uh, girl. You also have this Roman jailer, probably older in his age, a blue-collar uh, worker. These three people have nothing in common, like different race, different social class, gender, age, but they're there together at Lydia's house for one specific reason. 
And it's because they believe in the same Lord, Jesus Christ. They share this common belief, this common faith. And after 10 years, what Paul says as he is sitting in prison in Rome, he says to the church of Philippi in verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So now, after about 10 years, Paul, he hears about the church of Philippi, and what he's saying is, you're no longer this small church. You are a church that is living for the gospel. There is this partnership with us, uh, within us um, because of the gospel. And he kind of comes to a place in verse 27. He says, now that you are really living for the gospel, I want to exhort you one more time in verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Notice that word only. That word only means that this is of first importance. This is really the only thing that matters at the end of the day. This is something that you should always remember, take to heart, live a life that's worthy of the gospel. So how do you do that? So Paul is encouraging the church of Philippi to be a church that is worthy of the gospel. So how can Shining Star Community Church be a church that's worthy of the gospel. I mean, we care about what other people say about our church. We care about our reputation. We care about what, what people leave on Google, I guess, on our Google reviews. But at the end of the day, what matters is how God views our church, right? And so how can we be a church that is worthy of the gospel? Paul gives us three words that gives us a picture of what it means to be worthy of the gospel. In verse 27, it says, stand Verse 27, again, it says strive, and verse 29, it says suffer. So stand, strive, suffer. Those are the three key words that we have to unpack uh, to understand what it means to be worthy of the gospel um, as a church. So if you want to be a church that is worthy of the gospel, first we have to stand together for the gospel. We have to stand together for the gospel. Look at verse 27. It says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you. So what does Paul want to hear? That you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. So you are standing firm in one spirit, like in unity, in one faith, in one mind. And this is not obvious to us, but the people who are reading these words um, in the first century, they would have noticed that Paul right now is using a military term. It's, it's a picture of, of a military unit. Uh, they're given this ground in battle. Uh, it's their ground. Uh, they possess it. And the commander is telling them, your unit has to hold on to this ground. No matter what comes your way, no matter how dangerous the enemy is, don't retreat. Stand still. Hold fast. Hold on to that ground. That's the idea behind this word, standing firm. So you don't back down. You don't run away. You are standing firm where, you're, where, where it is your territory. And what Paul is saying is your territory, your ground is your belief in Jesus Christ. Right? Upon this rock, I'll build my church upon the foundation, the confession that Jesus is your Lord, that he's the Christ, the son of the living God. I'll build my church. And you have this ground. Upon this ground, your church is built. However, you have opposition. You have people who are trying to attack the church. People are trying to divide the church. People are trying to 
testify against the church. And what the Bible is telling us today is that we ought to stand firm in our beliefs. By the way, this is why we care about our beliefs. Some people say, well, well why, can't, why are we so narrow-minded when it comes to what we believe and what we don't believe? Why can't we be more, more open to different opinions and ideas, how people view God and how people want to believe in God? Why can't we just be more accepting towards other people? Well, it's pretty simple. When it comes to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and what we understand about God's word, the word of God tells us, hey, don't compromise your faith. Stand firm in your faith. And that's why in the midst of a world that says there are many gods and there are many ways to God, we say, no, there's only one way that is true, and that way is Jesus Christ. Like, in a world that says, well, marriage can be anything, no, we say marriage is a holy thing that happens between a man and a woman. It's a lifelong commitment to one another, and it's a picture of the gospel. Therefore, we take marriage seriously, and therefore, we take any relationship seriously before marriage because, you know, we understand that until we are married, we walk in holiness, in purity, that until we make that final commitment really before the Lord and before our congregation, we say, I'm not going to um, walk in, uh, in a way that's unholy to God. And so in the midst of a culture that is so fluid when it comes to ideas of marriage and ideas of relationships, the reason why we stand firm is because the Word of God tells us to, be st- to stand firm because marriage is a picture, a clear picture of the gospel. The reason why we are pretty particular when it comes to our commitment to the Lord as far as keeping the Sabbath day holy, as far as really gathering together um, to worship with one another, to worship God in this community, is because God's Word, it tells us to do so. Like, the world will tell us, well, um, I mean, there are ways that you can worship. Uh, One thing I was really surprised uh, when I was in Texas, this is the Bible Belt, right? And so when I first um, went to seminary, I had the opportunity to look around different churches. And one thing that was shocking was that a lot of churches had Saturday evening services. Now, I'm pretty sure, like, there are good reasons why they have it. Uh, Sometimes because people have to work on Sundays, uh, they don't want people to miss uh, service. But... What happened over time is that the reason why people would go to Saturday services is because they want Sunday all to themselves, right? And so that, that, was, that became the main reason for that. And so we see why, I mean, why do we protect our Sabbath day? Why do we set it apart for the Lord? And why do we actually get up early this morning at 9 a.m. when most of the rest of the world is sleeping? Why do we come to this place? It's because we believe that this is a command that's given to us by God. We stand firm in our faith. A lot of times I have conversations with people that are wondering, uh, Pastor James, is it really biblical that we have to give graciously uh, for the work of God's kingdom? Do we have to really give to God? And, and the reason why they're asking that question is because you know, 10 plus percent of my income with that, I can do so many other things. I can buy so many other things, right? And so if you just do the math, that's, that's actually seems like a lot of money like when it comes to like your personal finance. I mean, they normally say if you save up about 15% of your income over a span of maybe 30 years, then you are set for retirement. You can probably um, kind of have about an 80% kind of um, retirement plan um, to... to uh, where you are receiving about 80% of what you would have received when you were working. And so that's a big portion of your money. 
And what we believe is that uh, it's not that God needs our money or wants our money, but he wants our heart. And the way that we do this is that we believe that everything that we have in this life is a gracious gift given to us by God. And so out of a gracious, out of a gracious heart, out of a loving heart, we give back for the work of God's kingdom. And so you can go on and on and on again. Do you notice that our culture basically constantly asks us the question, does God really say this? Do you really have to live like this? Is it really worth living in such a way? And notice that's exactly what the enemy did back in the garden. When Satan came and said, did God really say that you can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? This world is constantly pressuring us that, that we would fall away from, from our ground, that we would retreat, that we would move back, that would somehow give, give our territory to the enemy. But notice that the word of God tells us very clearly today, stand Firm in your faith. Do not compromise. Stand firm together upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second thing that we see is strive. Strive together, side by side. It says in verse 27, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, uh, as a preacher, I, I heard that um, you should never mix metaphors, but Paul's actually doing this, so I'll mix metaphors. Before, it was a military metaphor. This time, it's a metaphor of, of athletics, of sports. That word striving is this idea that an athlete is competing, working really hard to achieve something, to win something. And you see this in 2 Timothy 2, 5, where it says an athlete is not crowned unless he competes. It's the same word according to the rules. So it's this idea when you are striving side by side, you have a common goal. That you have something that you're striving for. That you're not just running aimlessly, but there's a clear goal that you have in mind. So like an athlete would compete in a game, that you have this laser-type focus, that you have your eyes set on this goal, and you are moving forward. And I think this is so cool. Because the Christian life is not just about defense. It's, it's about offense. Um, and I, I personally love offense, right? Uh, especially when I'm playing soccer. Defense, like you make a mistake, it's like, oh, all the, the world falls apart, right? Uh, but offense, like it's, it's fun because you get to attack. You get to do damage to the other team. And so what the Bible is saying is this. If you really want to be a church that's worthy of the gospel, you have to have defense and offense. Your defense is that you stand firm in your faith when people are trying to oppose your beliefs, oppose what is true in the Bible, but you also go into enemy territory, you go into places that are dark, and share the gospel, the good news. You share the faith of Jesus Christ. There is a mission in front of you. There is a goal ahead of you. So strive side by side. You know, um, there's a movie that I watched a couple years ago, and a lot of times I don't remember movies that well, but it's this Korean movie called um, Extreme Job. Maybe some of you saw it. It was so famous that, you know, my wife and I, we end up watching it. So the story kind of goes like this. There's a group of detectives that are trying to go after this, this, this um, international gang that's selling uh, drugs and all these weird stuff. And it comes to a place where the detectives, they finally have a lead, and they figure out the hiding place of this gang. But they have no evidence, right? So what they have to do is they have to find evidence. So what they decide to do is they decide to hide. They say, we're going to go undercover. And they happen to scout the area. And there's uh, a fried chicken place right across the street. And so they say, perfect. It's for sale. We're going to go into that fried chicken place. Well, 
we didn't know this, but uh, as, as the mo- movie goes on, uh, one of the detectives, they are really good at cooking. And so because they have this cover of fried chicken, they have to sell chicken, right? Because they have to be open, and they just happen to serve, like, the best chicken in town. So everyone is loving the chicken. The place is booming to the place that these detectives, over time, they're more focused on frying chicken than finding <laughs> this, this gang. And, and that's funny, right? That's hilarious. It, it was a funny movie. And a lot of times, I think that's how the church is operating, that God has given us a mission, a clear mission, the Great Commission, to make disciples of all nations, to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, to teach them all that Jesus has commanded us. And that mission is very clear. But at the same time, we live in this world, right? And so we need a cover. I mean, we can't just go out and, 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 and kind of be like all oh, Christian. We have to be able to relate to other people. We have to seek for opportunities to share the gospel. So each and every one of us, because we also have to live, we have our cover. My cover just happens to be more of an obvious one, a pastor. Uh, but maybe your cover is, is something that's different. But each and every one of us, we have a cover. But at the end of the day, that's only your cover. Like, you're, you're not created to fry chicken, you're not created simply to work at just a company, to, to just run a shop. You're not just simply created to be a student. You were created for something that's greater. That just happens to be your cover right now, and that cover might change over time. But notice that the mission is always the same. It is to advance God's kingdom. And if we are not careful, we can easily get so distracted, especially when life is good, when life gets comfortable, we get distracted by all the things that the world has to offer. And there comes to a point where we realize that, that we're really doing things more for the world than for God. What the Bible tells us is striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, for this common goal, for this mission. You go hard. And it says in verse 20, I love this, and not be frightened in anything by Opponents. So notice that opposition, it, it's there. Like, you will have opponents. This will be challenging. At the same time, the Word of God says, don't be afraid. Don't be frightened. So be courageous in your pursuit of this mission. And that's something that's really interesting because um, there's two things. Um, as we were going through these three S's, um, uh, standing, striving, and suffering, there's, there's something that we have to keep in mind. What God tells us is that this is not something that you do individually, but it's something that we do collectively. It's not an I passage, it's, it's a we passage. This is something that we have to do. And also, it's something that requires courage. It's not just something that's going to easily happen in our community. This is something that we have to be very intentional about. So we stand, we strive, and notice when we do all this, we're not afraid, but we're courageously unified for this goal. It says, this is a clear sign. Not a subtle sign, but a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. Now, one common question I receive is this, Pastor James, how do I know that I'm saved? Well, the Bible says one way that you can really know clearly that you are a believer, that you are walking with the Lord is to ask the question, are you standing in the faith with other believers firmly, courageously? Are you striving with other believers side by side to advance God's kingdom for the work of his ministry? And 
And are you doing all this, really, for my glory? That's, that's the question. And, and so what Paul says is this is a sign of destruction for those who are not with God, but this is a sign of salvation for those who are with God. So we stand together in the gospel courageously. We strive together in the gospel courageously. And we also see, lastly, that we suffer together for the gospel. Look at verse 29. This, now it gets pretty serious. It says in verse 29, For it has been granted to you. And the word grant, by the way, it means it has been graciously given to you. It's like a gift to you, right? And there's two things that he mentions. It says, This has been graciously given to you, granted to you, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. So, Number one, believing is a gracious gift that is given to us by God. Yes, the believing part is something that you do, but in your spiritual blindness, when you are spiritually dead, there is no way apart from God's grace that you can believe. So the first domino is always God's gracious gift. Um, He allows us to see the beauty of the gospel. He allows us to see the depths of our sin. He's the one who opens our eyes to this wondrous Um, message of the gospel. So you can never believe in Jesus Christ apart from the grace of God. And that's something that we can all say amen to, but notice the second gracious gift that he gives. It says, but also suffer for his sake. That I have granted to you that you would also suffer for Christ's sake. So suffering is also a gift that is given to a believer, and you might be wondering, what in the world does that mean? And I don't think this necessarily means suffering in general. I think it's talking about righteous suffering when you are living out your faith, when you are following Jesus Christ and kind of the life of Paul, and Paul later mentions this, that you're suffering just like I'm suffering, and I think what Paul is getting at is when you seek to live for Christ, the world hates Christ, therefore the world will hate you. And so in a way, when you are suffering, when you are facing opposition, when you are kind of being trapped in different ways as you're journeying through this, this and you're pursuing Jesus Christ, when you are experiencing all this pressure around you, remember that Christ went before you and he suffered for you so that now he's in glory. So suffering actually is a sign that you are following Christ. I think we have this misconcept of suffering. We think that, okay, if we're suffering, we're doing something wrong. But notice Christ suffered, Paul suffered, and Christ says to his, his followers, his, the believers of that, that will soon to come, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So if you want to follow Christ, you have to take up your cross, which is, in a sense, a, a form of suffering. And so if you are not suffering in a way, if you are not feeling that tension where you are struggling to really live out your faith, could it be that you are more of the world, not against the world? Could it be that you are more like the world, not like Christ? Because the world likes its own people. And, but we see that the more and more you're trying to live like Christ and walk like Christ, the world will pressure you, oppose you, and you will experience suffering, but it's okay because we, we have brothers and sisters, in which we suffer together, that we suffer together for the gospel. So on this church anniversary day, I think it's quite obvious that the mission of Shining Star Community Church is the Great Commission, that we are really sold on this idea that the, the biggest ambition that God has is to reach the nations for his glory, 
and for their good. That we want to spread the name of Jesus Christ to the ends of, of the world. And the way that we do that is really by partnering with our missionaries, also by living a life that's missional. And, and so that's our focus. And that's not something that we came up with so that it will be cool and catchy, so that's something that people will like. No, that's something that we just simply see in God's word. That, that's how Jesus designed his church. In Matthew 16, Jesus says, this church, it belongs to me. Upon this rock, I will build my church. This church does not belong to me. It does not belong to you. It belongs to Jesus Christ. He's the owner of the church. He's the designer of the church. And he says, if you stand upon this rock, this confession of faith, that I am your Savior, that I am your Lord, the gates of hell will not prevail. Notice that means the gates of hell will try to attack you, that there will be spiritual attacks that, that will try to drag you down and, and move you away from your territory. But when you stand firm in your beliefs, it says the gate of hell will not prevail against you. Now, some of you might be thinking that, I mean, okay, this idea of military uh, athletes, it's great, but it doesn't sound like something that I would want to do, okay? Uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not signing up for this. It's like you're sending your kid to boot camp, right? They don't want to be in boot camp. I mean, I understand if someone wants to go to the military, they want to serve the nation, that, that's great for them. They would enjoy, uh, although it's difficult, they would enjoy uh, that process because they have a clear purpose. But it almost feels like sometimes, you know, like this is not what we're signed, we signed up for. So like church, okay, so it's, church is kind of a place where we get equipped, we get trained, and that's something that you didn't sign up for. Well, why should I still think about being part of a church? Well, it's because church and Christ are inseparable. Like you can't separate Christ from his church. Jesus created the church, and something that we don't often think about is this. Jesus died for the church, that, that he redeemed the church through his death and resurrection. It says in Ephesians 5, when talking about the relationship of husbands and wives, it says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So Jesus gave himself up so that the church could live, that he might sanctify her. So not only does the, the, does the church receive the gift of salvation, they receive the gift of sanctification, right? Jesus cares so much about his church, and he says, I'm going to save my church. Also, I'm going to sanctify my church. If you really want to walk in this, in, in, this, in this life following Jesus Christ, if you want to be sanctified in your faith, notice that you have to be part of a local church. You know, one other question that I receive is this. A lot of times people say this, though. You know, church is not perfect. And I think that's something that's true, absolutely. Um, so why should I join a church, especially if I have past hurt? Like, one reason why I don't commit to a church is because I tried that before. I tried committing to a church before, and it just didn't work out. I got hurt. And, you know, because I had high expectations for other people, I was hurt even more so. I want to let you know there are times as a pastor that I get hurt too. There are times as a pastor that where it's really hard to, to stay within the church community simply because I'm sinful and we're all sinful. Like, we're not perfect at all. But in those moments, what drives us to still be faithful to the church? It's not the church it's the head of the church. It's Jesus Christ that drives our commitment. The church is never to be my motivation to be devoted to Christ. The Christ is my motivation to be devoted to the church. He is our head. And because 
Christ was willing to die for his church, because Christ was willing to sanctify his church, because really the church is the body of Christ where they are inseparable from Jesus Christ. We commit ourselves to one another, and more importantly, to Jesus Christ. One last comment I want to make is this. Um, some people ask, why the Shining Star, why do they have such a strict process when it comes to membership, right? You guys are trying to be dictators, control freaks. Uh, why are you trying to do that? Because it should be more open, welcoming. Well, if we're going on a cruise ship, absolutely, like, I would invite everyone and have everyone enjoy it. But if we're going fishing, like, I need everyone on board. Like, we need everyone on the same page. If we're going to go to battle, we need everyone to have the same mindset, to have the same spirit, to know the language that we're going to use on the battlefield. If we're going to play on the same team, we need a strategy all together. Like, if we're just pay, playing pickup basketball, obviously, like, anyone can come, anyone can play. But if we have a clear mission that we need to save souls and advance God's kingdom for his glory and the focus that we need, the, the sacrifice that we need to make is great, then we need committed members. And notice that when we say we, we're going to have meaningful membership and we, we want your commitment, in the same way, what the church is saying to you is this, we are willing to commit to you. That we're not just going to leave you, but we are committed to you. You know, I, I told you that when I was in Texas, I had the opportunity to go to different churches. One thing I noticed was, especially with larger churches, it is so easy to go incognito form, where you go in, you're not noticed, come out, like don't talk to anyone. Uh, it's, it's, it's like you're never there. And in one sense, that's convenient. But in another sense, it makes you wonder, what does the church think of me? Right? When we say we want meaningful membership, it's not because we want to control the narrative. It's not because we want to simply have people who are devoted so that we can pay our bills. No, it's simply because we believe there's a mission that needs to be accomplished, and God created the church to accomplish that mission, and that mission requires commitment, and the only way that we can have the commitment is to really have this meaningful membership where we are all on the same page, that we know exactly that every single one, although we're so different, that we are serving the same Lord, that we believe in the same things, and we have the same commitment, the same passion for the gospel, and when that, our church moves like that, then really we're going to see crazy things happen for the glory of God and for our good. So let's continue to stand side by side, to strive with one another, and to suffer together for the glory of the gospel together. Let's pray.